following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Well, good morning. Let's pray together. Father God, we are grateful for your great love for us. We thank you, Lord, for bringing us together today. Just who you want here to hear your word, to fellowship with one another. There may be a word someone here needs to speak to someone else. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would arrange those divine appointments. Lord, um, we pray right now for John Mather, who is struggling in the back room with a gout. I pray your hand would be on him and give him relief. God, we, uh, we give you this time for your glory and our good. Speak to us from your word, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, now, um, I make a true confession. Uh, it is a constant temptation for me, I think, to make the Bible, in my mind at least, just a long list of rules and the expectations. Uh, just all just do's and don'ts. What am I allowed to do? What's the Bible say? What shouldn't I be doing? What's the Bible say? Uh, but um, what that happen what happens when you do that is all the characters in scripture become thin and uh, that's not distracting. Uh, for, what were we saying? Let's close in prayer. Whatever. <laughs> what happens when we make the Bible just about the rules and do's and don'ts and all that is the characters within just become thin and floppy like a flannel graph uh, characters. I see how some heads nodding know what flannel graph is. I meant to put a picture, um, but whatever. This would have been distracted anyway. <laughs> Paper... <laughs> Paper Jesus and paper disciples just you know, stick on a big felt board. We used to have one here. Do we have that anymore? Nope. We have moved on. <laughs> okay. Now we, um, yeah, all right. Well, I, I admit that in my own thinking, that it has been far more important to focus on the substance of the message than on the subject to whom it is addressed. And it's not not entirely a bad thing. Um, after all, that's uh, what was written was the word of God, and it's written to his church, right? So, um, but remember, when you study the Bible, when you open a passage, you could think very easily, what does this say to me? What, I'll read, uh, whatever, Psalm 1. What does that say to me? And that's fine, but you can't forget it wasn't written to you originally. It was written to somebody else. Um, so you have to ask yourself, who wrote this? And who did they write it to? And what were the circumstances in, that they were involved uh, in? Because otherwise, we just make a Bible into fortune cookies. And it just little bits and pieces that are helpful to us. And, and sell coffee cups and uh, T-shirts and calendars and, and inspirational keychains and things like that. But there's so much more. 
I think. When we ignore the people, when we forget about the relationships that are intricately woven throughout these letters, we miss out on a lot, I think. And we, we are beginning a new series um, in our study. We've been working through the letters of the Apostle Paul in the approximate order that they were originally delivered so that we remember what the church was like and how Paul was at work with a strategy to establish the church. Um, but now we are moving on not just to a new letter from Paul, but a new kind of letter from Paul, a whole new type. Um, last week we looked at the letter to Philemon. You remember him? Remember that story, I hope? Um, the story concerning Onesimus, the runaway rebel. Well, this uh, was the last of Paul's middle set of letters. There are three groups. His early letters, we call the middle group, his middle letters. <laughs> and a third group, wrong. Pastoral epistles, how could you not get that tried? <laughs> well, we look at uh, Philemon and Onesimus, um, and that was the, the last of the middle set of letters that Paul wrote from his first imprisonment in Rome. Um, and that middle set, not really called the middle set, you could impress your friends and say, we've been studying the prison epistles of the apostle. Because an epistle is not the wife of an apostle, it's a letter. Just, just want you to be clear on that. And those middle, that middle set, those prison epistles, these were letters written to churches or the church, really, just in different locations for instruction and exhortation and, in some cases, some pretty strong rebuke. Um, they were designed to instruct the churches uh, on God's mission for the church and how they were to participate, what we're supposed to be doing. You remember what those letters were, this Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Um, the first set of Paul's letters, which we studied of 150 years ago, it seems like, in my mind at least, um, those letters were written to establish young, fledgling churches in the gospel, just to understand what had happened to them, what life, uh, what it means to be made new in Christ, um, and what the churches were supposed to be doing. These letters were written to baby churches that needed to be reassured of the gospel and the implications uh, of the gospel in their lives, and that's Galatians both books, uh, both letters to Thessalonians, both letters to the Corinthians, and the book of Romans. And I start, we started this uh, series because that's exactly what we were when we started almost five years ago doing these letters. We are brand new. Oh, this building's been here for 30 years, and some of you have been, no, none of you have been here that long. <laughs> uh, I mean, gentle, gentle. Uh, but we were new. Uh, when we first got started this morning, it reminded me of my first Sunday here where everybody was sitting over here and there's nobody on this side at all. <laughs> it's just funny. But So that's why we started that way. And I praise God that what's happened to the early church really kind of happened to us. The church continued to build. It continued to grow. People get deeper in their faith. And what happens within a church family changes and grows. And it's very beneficial. 
Well, I don't think that's, I hope not, that's not foreshadowing of what goes on in the last three of Paul's letters, the pastoral epistles. These are Paul's torch-passing letters. He's saying, look, I am coming to the end of the race here. It's time for someone to take the baton and keep running. Now, I'm not, this is not an announcement. <laughs> These... These three letters, called the pastoral epistles, is First and Second Timothy and Titus, um, although they weren't delivered in that order. It's First Timothy, then Titus, then Second Timothy, and then after Second Timothy, we don't hear any more from the Apostle Paul. That was that was the last thing that he wrote that we have, and he was an old man when he wrote these letters. He was finishing his course and completing the task given to him by the Lord. And now he's passing that torch on to other reliable men who would in turn teach others. Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. In other words, he's saying to Timothy, I hope you are taking notes, uh, because it's your job now, not mine anymore. I went out to Iowa for training uh, years ago, and uh, there was a fellow there who was, I think he's from Chicago. I can't uh, hope to emulate his voice when he says this. He, we were talking about this verse, and he says, that's faux deep. Faux deep. What does that mean? Faux deep discipleship. As you, you start with Barnabas, and Barnabas taught Paul. And Paul taught Timothy, and Timothy to teach others. And other people take Take that, uh, what they learn and teach to other people. Faux deep. I don't know where for him, I guess, but, um, every generation is to teach another generation. This is what happened, I will admit to you, this is what happened to churches. They have one pastor, and he's the one voice, uh, to, for all, he's the one source for all teaching. And I, I don't know if you've noticed, but we grow older, we get old, and our, um, if no one um, is trained up to take on the responsibility and other people are the voices of teaching the word, then the pastor fail and the church fails. And that's why churches close. And there's nobody left there anymore because, no, this is my thing. And I won't let go of it. Well, Paul is not this way. He says, look, I've done my job. Now it's your turn. I'm going to give you my last piece of advice, pieces of advice. Now you take the torch and you run. Anyway, so in order to not forget that there are real people involved here, I think we ought to go over uh, what we know about Timothy, because that's, oh, did I mention that we're going to study First Timothy? Just in case you missed it. So what we want, what I want to do is go over what you know about Timothy and think about his relationship with Paul so that the letters of, the words of this letter ring with a little more warmth than just like a pastoral handbook because it's very easy to forget who is involved. So what do we know about Timothy? What do you know about Timothy? I, I wrote notes, so what do you know about him? This is your chance to volunteer information. I'll tell you you're wrong. It's great fun. Hey, that's a good start. Timothy is a Christian. Yes, that's true. Yeah, that's very safe. He was young. He's fairly young. Yeah, we're not sure exactly what that meant, but younger than Paul by far. Yeah. 
He did have a strong mother. Do you remember his mother's name? That was your grandmother. That's close. Phoebe. It's Phoebe and Eunice. One of his one was his grandmother, one was his mother. I'm probably wrong. Eunice and Phoebe. Yeah, anyway. That is a half correct answer. Was he a Gentile? Well that was a question. Are you asking me? He was, his father was a Gentile and his mother was a believing Jew. Right? And his, and his grandmother as well. Anybody remember where he's from? <laughs> okay, we're gonna move on. I'm just gonna tell you. You're waiting for me to stop this nonsense anyway. Uh, it's very probable that Timothy came to faith as a kid when Paul first visited Lystra and Derby. I'm not sure exactly where he's from, but that's where we know Paul met him as a kid. And that's recorded in Acts chapter 14, verses 6 and 7. You can see when Paul visited there. Uh, his mother and grandmother were believing Jews. They were Christians, but his father was an unbelieving Greek. Not just Greek, but he didn't believe in the Lord Jesus, which is a familiar uh, scenario to a lot of people. Believing mom, unbelieving dad. Um, so we can kind of identify with that, some of us. Uh, so when Paul uh, Paul's traveling around and goes back to Lystra a second time, and this is where he find, finds young Timothy ready to work, um, ready and willing to go with him on this grand gospel adventure, um, as recorded in Acts 16, uh, verse 1 through 5, if you want to l- l- look that up. Oh, I'll read it to you. I have it in the notes. How about that? There's Acts 16, 1 through 5. Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra, A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered for them observance... delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. Well, what's interesting about that? Anything stick out to you there? They said probably a teenager, Timothy a teenager at this point. All right, fellas, you did not notice this? <laughs> You're not going to say it out loud. Paul circumcised Timothy, teenage Timothy. Well, it's kind of funny. If you remember some of our studies in the past, Paul is adamant to say circumcision is nothing. You don't need to do this anymore. Circumcision of the heart is what matters. So why do you circumcise Timothy? No, but good guess. <laughs> it is well there were Greeks there were Jews around in those places who knew his father was a Greek so that's it's an interesting topic and lots of scholars fight about this but I think um, uh, it's very simple it says he was cir- he circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places uh, I don't like to argue about stuff like this it's not really that important I think it's very simple but simple keeps theologians from Jobs, I guess. I don't know. This is, is as simple as this. It's like the pastor wearing a suit to a wedding or a funeral. 
Sometimes you just have to put on the uniform. It's that simple. What we... Uh, sorry. Um, one of the comments that, I'll, that I find funny, and I, this is... We're going to be here all day. Um, one of the things I find funny around town here is people... I've been... We've lived here for almost six years now, and people are say, oh... You're, you're a pastor? Or say to Carol, your husband, your husband is a pastor? Like, yeah. Well, yeah. But I don't dress like one, so nobody knows. And I hide behind a big grizzled beard, and I just look like a logger, which is what everybody thinks I do anyway. Which is fun. To mess up with, mess with people, and then their conversation completely changes. <laughs> like, well, I was gonna tell a joke, but I'm not gonna anymore. <laughs> I don't wear that uniform, right? Unless it's a funeral. Or a wedding. Sometimes when people come to visit here, the only thing they see is this. And, oh, well, that must be him, because I can't tell. Timothy had to put on the uniform so that people knew that Christianity was not a complete break from Judaism. We are grafted into the tree. We the Christians are added on to the Jewish family, to the family of Abraham, okay? So um, Paul did not want to rub that in the face of the Jews and say... We're going to do whatever we want now. It doesn't matter what your traditions are. He wanted people to listen to Timothy, and so he did whatever was necessary to make that possible. What we learn about Timothy's character is that uh, it's pretty safe to say that he was very devoted to doing the things that God wanted him to do. Right? Right? All right. So he journeys with the apostle um, over to Troas, he travels to Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea, where he stayed for a while, and later he follows Paul to Athens. You can read about that in Acts 17, 14, 15. Uh, not long after that, he was sent by the apostle to Thessalonica to strengthen and comfort that young, um, that young community. You can read about that in 1 Thessalonians 3, 1 through 5. And then he joins Paul again in Corinth. So, Timothy, a well-traveled young man. It didn't take very long traveling around with Paul. Um, He got all over the place. We find him later on in Paul's third missionary journey to Ephesus. Uh, Paul sent him with a message to Macedonia. He was with Paul again when he wrote 2 Corinthians and later went with Paul to Corinth. Uh, He was with Paul when uh, Paul wrote the letter to the Romans. You can see this because Paul starts the letter. Paul, an apostle, and Timothy, so, okay, you can see that. Uh, Paul traveled back through Macedonia. He sent Timothy along with a group of other believers on to Troas. You can read about that in Acts 20. And eventually he winds up in Rome with Paul when Paul was in prison and wrote the prison epistles. Timothy was there. He wasn't imprisoned with him, but he was, he was around helping him. We can read in Philippians 2.19 that Paul had hoped to send Timothy to Philippi um, to get a report from the church and bring back word um, to Paul so that Paul would know how they were doing. Um, but for whatever reason, that never happened. He wanted to do that, but it didn't. It didn't come to fruition. When Paul was released from the Roman prison the first time, uh, he went back to Macedonia. He left Timothy in Ephesus, which is where most likely uh, he was consecrated by the solemn laying on of hands of the elders uh, to the work of the ministry. And he stayed there in Ephesus and worked with the church there for quite some time. 
He was there until Paul called him back to Rome. Um, when uh, in in Second Timothy it says that he was imprisoned with Paul. Um, he was later released, as it says in Hebrews thirteen twenty three, and then we don't hear any more any more about Timothy. What happened to him? So he's got a pretty good resume, not a long period of time. Uh, just a few years, he had done a lot of work with Paul and been all over the Roman Empire uh, serving the Lord Jesus. Tradition says that he was martyred. Uh, either either way, he died. That was funny in my head. He's dead now. Um, he he was martyred either under the Roman Emperor Domitian uh, around eighteen, uh, around, sorry, eighty one between eighty one and ninety six A.D. or under Emperor Trajan in one o nine A.D. Either way, he's still dead. Uh, we know that. Um, August Niemeyer, in his book Characteristics of the Bible says in his praise of Timothy, the apostolic history tells us how closely he always walked in the counsels of his teacher, how diligent to spread the gospel, how he renounced all, even harmless comfort, that he might not throw the least stumbling block in the way of Christianity. That noble feeling, that heart wholly given to God and Christ, binds him so fast to Paul that he cannot speak of him save in the tenderest language that he calls him his dear, upright son and commends him with such warmth to the love of other communions. Hallowed indeed to us, hallowed peculiarly, peculiarly to all the teachers of religion, be the remembrance of the noble man, the earliest emulator of the great apostle. So Timothy, the dear, upright son in the faith, received this letter, First Timothy, we call it, while uh, in Ephesus, as he was, in essence, pastoring the church there. And in this wonderful letter, Paul reminds Timothy of his task, and truly the task of every pastor, which is to make sure the church there is established in the truth. The way we understand it here is to make and mature disciples together as a family. That was Timothy's charge, or Paul's charge to Timothy. And we're going to spend the next several, however long it takes, weeks or months or years, I don't know, dealing with all the nuances of that task given to Timothy from Paul, from the Lord, really. But rather than hear any more of my words, I think that it's appropriate that we hear the words of the Lord through the Apostle Paul to Timothy, as Timothy first read it. No chapters and no verses, no headings, just the word of the Lord through Timothy's beloved mentor. So if you want, you can read along. 1 Timothy 1.1, which is page 991 in the Pew Bibles. Mm. Let's let the word of God speak for itself. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, 
nor devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God, that is, by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God, with which I have been entrusted. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to this service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecy previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenius and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness, with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was firm, formed first, then Eve. 
And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons, though through the insincerity insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hopes set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the, set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching, Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourselves in them. 
so that you all may see your progress, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women with sisters in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness in their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work, but refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened, so that it may care for those who are truly widows. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better, since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. Teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
and the teaching that accords with godliness. He is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in inapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor nor to set their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up the treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge, for by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. Now you can see we have a lot to talk about. I look forward to it. But as for now, we'll let the Lord speak to our hearts through his word. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your word. We're so thankful for the testimony of your servant, Timothy and Paul. We're thankful, Lord, that through Paul you instructed Timothy and through him everyone who would come after to publicly read Scripture. And so we have today. It is not wasted time. Lord, we thank you for your word and the freedom we enjoy to read it together. I pray your hand would be on us as we study this word together, this wonderful letter to your servant Timothy. But for now, Lord, we pray that you would use the words um, to speak to each of our hearts uh, in different ways, different things. May we have holy questions um, that only your spirit can answer. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. 
In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.